Good morning, everyone. It's my privilege this morning to speak uh, from the scriptures. And as you know, we've been working our way through um, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I'm really grateful to Hermie for reading that passage for us. What an amazing passage. I've called this talk, The Mind of Christ. The NASA Space Shuttle Discovery was once grounded. Not because of any major technical issues or problems with the rocket, but because woodpeckers had found the foam on the external fuel tanks irresistible to peck at. The foam was actually critical to the shuttle's performance and without it, ice would form on the fuel tanks, meaning the shuttle couldn't perform as it should do. Those tiny things grounded one of the most amazing inventions in space travel. When Paul writes to the Philippians, we've already noticed that it's a really joyful letter. It's really warm in its style and we can see Paul's affection for the church there. As Edward reminded us last time, there wasn't any major issues that Paul addressed in this letter, not doctrinal, theological, or ethical or moral, not like his letters to the Galatians or to the Thessalonians or to the Corinthians. But in Philippi, there were small issues, sometimes pettiness. And Paul does something really interesting. He points people to Jesus. Paul knows that even small things unchecked can actually cause big problems. It can stop the church living as it should. So Paul responds to these things with a call to worship and a call to have the mind of Christ. And this is one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. And it paints in words a beautiful portrait of Jesus. In this call for unity, Paul sees that the greatest incentive for unity amongst the body of believers is to be more like Jesus. He said in verse 2 of uh, this chapter, make my joy complete by being like-minded. And then as we pick it up in verse 5, have this mind among you, which is already yours in Christ Jesus. What will we focus on? It's a choice that we have to make. And this wonderful passage allows us to enter the mind of Christ. It's such a wonderful passage, it's almost like we're treading on holy ground. We tread quietly and reverently at these amazing words. Now, if you have a friend who does something which you don't quite understand or puzzles you, you may ask, what did you have in mind? And here in these amazing verses, this early Christian song or hymn, we see Jesus' mind, the mind of Christ. And Paul sees this worship of Jesus, this exaltation of Jesus as an antidote to fear or doubt or the pettiness that sometimes can hinder the life of a church. I was actually saved in a Baptist church. I remember some of my first experiences of the church meeting. 
in a Baptist church. The monthly meeting of members that gather together to seek the mind of Christ and to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But I was horrified as a young Christian that instead of being holy ground, that church meeting often was a battleground. And maybe there was a token, one song of worship and a prayer and then into business. And often the business was taken over by pettiness. I remember first coming to Camden Baptist Church and I was determined that that culture would not be part of what we did as a church. Our first church meeting back in the old uh, back hall as it was then before any of the renovations we did to the church, there were 20 or so who gathered for the church meeting and I just said, let's just worship and pray together. That's all we're going to do tonight. And we lifted our voices in praise and called on the name of the Lord. And at every church meeting since then and every leadership meeting since then, that's been our pattern to worship Jesus first. I remember after a, quite a long church meeting once, someone took me aside and said that it had been so long because we hadn't started the business till after 8.30. I had to gently remind them that the most important business had started at 7.30 when we began to worship Jesus and lift our eyes to him. You see, how can we seek the mind of Christ if we don't look to him first, if we don't put him first, if we don't humble ourselves and ask, not our will be done, but yours? Paul says, have the mind of Christ, and then he leads them in worship. Now, we don't know if Paul wrote this amazing song, or someone else wrote it and Paul just quoted it. But in it, we have one of the most amazing descriptions of Jesus, but one of the earliest statements of faith within the Christian community. These verses have been inspiring worship ever since. It brings us back to the heart of worship. It's all about Jesus. This worship song tells the story of Christ from the very beginning, pre-incarnation to his second coming. And we're gonna take a moment to look at this song together. Someone has said to me this week that not being able to sing as we've gathered to worship has made them focus on the words of the songs more than they ever did before. And here we have some wonderful words. In verse six, it says about Jesus, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, or as I learnt it, something to be grasped. The testimony of the early church is that Jesus is, was God in the flesh. Thomas, when he met Jesus risen from the dead and saw his hands and his side, declared, my Lord and my God. After doubting, when he met Jesus, he believed. John, in the beginning of his gospel, writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and through him all things were made. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul, in Colossians, writes, Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
In him, all things were created, and God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 1 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus, before Bethlehem, one with the Father, equal in nature God. We don't know much about the pre-incarnate state of Jesus. We know from these verses that he was the agent of creation. Through him, all things were created. And anticipating the cross, Jesus himself says in John 17, verse 5, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus did not use his divinity to his own advantage. He did not exploit his divinity or misuse it. We three see that throughout his life, and especially in times when he was tempted in the wilderness by the devil at the beginning of his public ministry. He responded to the devil's temptations with the scriptures. In his humanity, he resisted. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have called upon legions of angels, 72,000 angels to come to his help, but he resisted. He was facing death, even death on a cross. And there he hung on the cross and people mocked him. He saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? Because he was giving himself for us. That cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That quote from Psalm 22. Verse 7, he willingly emptied himself. He humbled himself. He made himself nothing. Now let's be clear, that's not that he emptied himself of divinity. Jesus never ceased to be God in the flesh. In fact, his decision to humble himself was to show us really what God was like. If you want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. So the question is not of what did he empty himself, but maybe into what did he empty himself? He became nothing, a baby, a man, a servant, a slave. He emptied himself into his mission the prophet Isaiah can help us here, speaking about the Messiah, the suffering servant, about Jesus. In Isaiah 53, verse 12, he says, he poured out his life unto death. Paul himself writes in 2 Corinthians, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. In order to save the world, Jesus empties himself, pours himself out for us. And this amazing sacrifice inspires our worship. The one that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. This is our God, the servant king. Or an older hymn, tis mystery all, the immortal dies. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? This Jesus is God and in his love, it's wide enough to embrace all of humanity without distinction or exception. 
It is not a vague, sentimental love. He demonstrates his love for us on the cross. People often ask, the world's in such a mess. Why doesn't God do something about it? And he has. He came himself in Jesus to die for a broken and lost world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He came to bring his kingdom. A new creation has begun in Jesus that will be complete when he returns again, a new heaven and a new earth. Not only did the eternal become incarnate, the incarnate became a curse. He became the lowest of the low. We see in this hymn the staggering humility of Jesus from the highest heights to the deepest depths. He became like us that we might become like him. He stooped so low that we might be lifted high. He became a slave that we might be set free. He became a curse for us that we might be blessed. This is the mind of Christ, to give up selfish ambition, to give up self-importance, to give up self-centeredness. Do these things and we will be more like Jesus. So Paul writes in verse five, have this mind among you, which is already yours in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that actually, if we are in Christ, we have his mind. It's becoming obedient to it more and more. And then gloriously, this hymn moves on in verse nine. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no place in the universe where he is not Lord. Notice that this hymn says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He is the Lord of all, the Lord of all creation, and he is exalted to the highest place. Every human being on earth, every creature in heaven, angels and saints, and every demon under the earth will have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And that word Lord means God, Yahweh. One day Jesus will be revealed for who he is. And in this hymn we have the earliest um, statement of faith, that creed of the early church, Jesus is Lord. And when he comes again at the resurrection, at the judgment, Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 says the books of life will be opened. To his disciples who followed him, Jesus said, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This salvation is open to all. We want everyone to bow the knee to confess Jesus as Lord in this life. But we know that one day when he returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You know that I've been involved with the Alpha course here for 25 years or more. The greatest joy is seeing people come to know Jesus as Lord, as their saviour. The greatest sadness has been seeing people walk away. But during these years, I've noticed a shift in culture, 
a change in people's attitude to Jesus. I'm discovering that many people will say they're happy to believe in God, but Jesus is a stumbling block to them. They say, I don't get the Jesus bit. The battle today is often around Jesus and who he is. The same battle in that first century when Paul wrote this letter. The uniqueness of Jesus causes offence. And so this is one of the most important passages in the New Testament, one that we should memorise. I remember at Bible college we were asked to memorise the whole of Philippians. And I managed to do it, but I must admit that I've forgotten a lot of it. But never this passage. And we must never forget Jesus and who he is. Never cease proclaiming that he is Lord. Paul would say if we lose Jesus, we lose everything. So he encourages the believers in Philippi to keep their eyes on Jesus. In their life together, in their relationships with one another, to keep Jesus first. To have his mindset. To lay aside self and to focus on him. Make my joy complete, he says, by having the mind of Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The challenge to us is to keep our eyes on Jesus constantly. Remember Peter when he was asked to step out of the boat. Jesus says, come. And as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, everything was fine. But when he took his eyes off Jesus, to the wind and the waves and everything that was going on, he sank. And Jesus saved him and rescued him. Paul again in this passage is saying to this early church, forget the small things, keep your eyes on Jesus. And proclaim his, him as Lord, that salvation may be known. That's our mission too. So may God bless you. And may God fill you with the mind of Christ. Let us humble ourselves before him, this great, amazing God who has saved us, and live for him. In Jesus' name, amen.